Beginning our fantastic story by recording from within the depths of the Cave of Monsters, it's the RF Generation Nation podcast number 11. I'm your host, Jess. You can find me in the forums at rfgeneration.com as Slacker. This is Adam. You guys know me as Big Man 2K. And we have some updates on the Corporations vs. Hackers War playing out in our online backyard. Uh, we've got some gaming shoutouts as well as an installment of our Gaming History Museum. And finish out with a contractually obligated top five. In our continuing coverage of these breaking stories, hackers versus the big, somewhat evil corporations. Starting just a few days ago, uh, the online hacking collective group Anonymous took down PlayStation.com to protest the lawsuit against the PS3 hacker George Hotz or GeoHot. They have since restored it to avoid inconveniencing PSN users. Yeah, this is getting – it's something we're reporting on just as little updates here and there. Uh, but it it is a big deal because PlayStation Network is uh, – you know, not only is it the, the hub where we play games online, and not only have we gotten uh, attacks on Xbox Live – uh, in terms of not just you know like hacking and, and such, but also the the economy being restructured, and we're at the turning point for distribution models for online services for uh, getting our games online. Uh, you've got all sorts of retro compilation. I'm sorry, uh, retro remakes and stuff on these services. I mean, it, it's it's even for people who don't play Call of Duty or Madden. It's also for people who wanted to play, you know, a, a new take on Rocket Knight Adventures or goof around on Super Meat Boy, you know, as an homage to the old-school impossible platforming games. <laughs> and um, so it affects all of us eventually, I think, uh, to to bring these kind of stories up, and not just as the little updates of, well, so-and-so was sarcastic and now uh, got the, all of this retribution on him. Uh, you know, somebody was angry at this business executive and then launched all of his digital attack dogs on him. You know, this becomes million-dollar lawsuits that the companies that make the games that we enjoy are having to tussle back and forth with. To think of how, the at least on the PlayStation side of it, how it all started was by having a firmware that's updatable like the Wii 360, you know, even going back to the original Xbox, to the PS3, where manufacturers now have the ability to add and remove features from the console. And when Sony, you know, started with... You know, there, there's a there's always going to be a subset of people that are going to want to do ridiculous things with their hardware, whether it is running Linux or whether it's hacking it to, you know, with the original Xbox, go back to run XBMC or which, you know, stems from Linux and all that kind of stuff. There's always going to be that group of people that wants to be able to do and try new things on their hardware. And that, to me, is what has started the, the PS3 stuff. I mean, it wasn't until they removed Linux support that they finally cared enough to start hacking on the console. I mean, there was some hacking done because the Linux was pretty tied down on the PS3, but it, it seems like a more of a cost-cutting measure that, so they don't have to support it rather than it's because of hackers can play free games or stuff on there when that's now happening because Sony giveth and Sony taketh away, and now here comes the fury. Well, it, it's not even just on Sony's, uh, you know, on on their end too. You've got that hacker that called himself Predator that used social engineering techniques instead of programs to uh, to alter the Xbox Live account of uh, Stephen Toulouse's 
his information. He went to his uh, his website host, and then he ended up changing his password, and then basically just <laughs> redoing all of this guy's security, and saying that, and and then the guy that calls himself Predator stood up and said, I didn't do this for malicious reasons. I'm wanting to let them know that I'm willing to help them secure all of their accounts. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and this is happening almost uh, a year after Major Nelson's uh, Xbox Live account was hacked and, and changed. And the idea that you're breaking the law to get a job, <laughs> you know, breaking the law to say, look, you have a problem here. It, it, it harkens back to me, being a guy that grew up initially without the internet and I was on bulletin boards and all that kind of thing and then saw you know the as the internet came to fruition you, you had a lot of these the hackers that were saying you know the information should be free that that uh, all online services need to be something to open to everybody and it, it kind of I think some of these hackers have grown up with that mentality some of these you know, these these coders and these programmers and quote unquote social engineers and they're trying to to go with that kind of outlaw rebellious attitude about the internet, but now we're talking about—it's not just the billion-dollar businesses against you know, the the, uh, the little guy. Uh, now we're we're talking about an industry like the PlayStation Network that offers a free service to gamers, and then they go and attack the free service. Which to me, you're you're attacking the gamers as much as you're attacking the corporation when you infect a service that I wanted to use for free because I have the product that allows me to use it for free. So. It, it's it's hard for me to drum up sympathy for them when that's the angle that they're taking, you know. See, I, and I don't really buy that Predator says he didn't do it for malicious reasons. I mean, he had been banned over 35 times from Xbox Live. That's got to cost a lot of money in the end. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, I guess you could just you could get gold counts for like the one month or something, but yeah, it it just at some point. Let's just say at 25 times, don't you think that it's not necessarily Xbox that's banning you? Maybe it's you. I mean, <laughs> you know, at, at some point you can't you can't look at this and say this is a hacker going after Microsoft. This is some guy that's mad because he's getting banned on Xbox Live because of probably stuff that he's doing, and then he just wanted to get back at somebody and then gloat about it, and then I don't know. It that's just kind of retaliatory just to be a dingus about it and you know you've already been banned 35 times and then you just want to get mad and then do something else that's i mean really just going to solidify your spot as banned as opposed to you know anonymous who's trying to do some good by you know i i say do some good but they're trying something because of they don't like the actions that a corporation is taking against this guy by going in and seizing computers and all this other stuff when to me that's two different battles but that's kind of the the range of retaliations we're seeing against these two companies yeah in the end if it's going to make us gamers suffer then you know i guess everyone's going to be able to have their own stance on it but can't say i'm a fan if it's going to end up <laughs> hurting me as a gamer in the long run or even in the short term if i wanted to jump on and play play some games online sure. uh, you might have some some positive uh, reasoning for what you're doing, but in the end, if it's it's actually hurting us, you know, and, and if and that's just on a direct front, you know, this isn't even counting the legal fees, the millions of dollars it costs for security and and all of that kind of thing. I'm not saying there uh, there isn't good reason to be upset with some of these things that happen, but there are other ways to to fight this. I mean, 
I'm ticked off that Call of Duty map packs cost 15 bucks a pop. My response to that was that I didn't buy it. Right. I mean, I've got lots of friends that play it online, and I don't play it with them. In a way, I kind of suffer because I'd love to play it with them, but at the same time, that's kind of my response to that. I play Halo Wars constantly still, uh, every weekend, and it took me until just maybe about a month, month and a half uh, to buy the extra maps that they had, because 10 bucks was too much to me. <laughs> it was yeah. just, even for a game I constantly play, it's like, I didn't see the value for that. And I still haven't bought their extra game modes package, because that to me was ridiculous. I paid $10 for a few extra game modes, like type, like methods of playing the game. That to <laughs> me should have been like a title update. I mean, that's that's just absurd to me. So even for a game that I, I thoroughly enjoy, I still didn't see that as, as a value. So that you know, my response to that was that I didn't buy it. You you vote with your dollars with these companies, and that's that's always how it ends up. And some of this isn't that direct that you can do it with, but to take that kind of, in, in, a, in my opinion, juvenile and destructive methodology, uh, what, what it's going to do is end up costing all of us in the long run. And I don't assume that any of these hacker folks are going to uh, hear this, and I hope they don't because... I like having my email account working, <laughs> but um, in the end, hopefully this next generation of, of gamers will be brought up with, with a lower tolerance of of some of this stuff, um, not not just towards what the game companies are doing to us, but defending you know, radical action against this kind of thing. And, and I think that that's, you know, in a way, in the end, if we're kind of doing a PSA <laughs> to say, well, yeah, don't put up with the nonsense either direction, you know. Don't don't jump on the bandwagon. Do the research. Make sure you know what you're actually getting into. You know, there's constant cases of people wanting to champion what they think is a really good idea, and then when they get in the thick of it, realize, you know what? Actually, this ended up not quite being what I thought it was. But you know, people oftentimes jump on a hate bandwagon without actually looking it up. So. Sure. And the, the other kind of problem with the voting with your dollar thing is that everybody complains about how you know I bring it up constantly because I think it's hilarious that they try and charge $15 for Call of Duty map pack or, you know, for a map pack. For any, you know, that's just outrageous to me. But people freaked out the same way when, you know, starting with Call of Duty 4, there's no dedicated PC version or no dedicated servers on the PC version. Everybody freaked out. I'm never going to buy Call of Duty again. And then the next one came out and they bought it. That to me, I mean these these Call of Duty games. You know, if you're gonna vote with your wallet, you gotta stop playing the game. That doesn't <laughs> just mean I'm not gonna buy it until the next one comes out. Because <laughs> I'm I'm guilty. I said I was not gonna buy StarCraft Two because I'm a big land gamer, and you have to be able to to get it online uh, to be able to. There's no land support whatsoever. So to play multiplayer, unless you you know have a hacked variant, you you have to do it online. And so I was like, oh, I'm not going to buy StarCraft 2. Then that's just that's such a loss for because you know the beauty of the first one was you didn't even have to reset your machine. You could you could throw. I mean, when I used to work at a computer lab for a university, you'd have people come bring their discs in. They'd throw it on like ten computers within you know within a half hour, and they'd just have a huge LAN game. Yep. Um, and those computers you couldn't reset and keep information on there, so it was just a clean install right from the beginning. And and that was, you know, I think, a, a big part of its booming popularity. Uh, was how easy it was just to set up and run a LAN and have just your own, you know, own party with it. And I said, eh, the second one's not going to support it. I just can't see it being, you know, as big with us. Now, granted, I, I did buy it and feel kind of lame about it, but I, I tell you what, I only bought one copy, and I have yet to even play it multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Partially because I know 
I'll survive about 10 seconds, but <laughs> also, you know, it just killed my, my desire to, to, to buy enough copies to land it. You know, the same thing with all of the online passes with the online games. I'm kind of voting with my dollar. I'm not going to buy four copies of a game that needs an online pass because I don't know who's going to come over and play it and they won't be able to use, you know, more than one online pass. So, uh, but you know what? Horse armor from Oblivion still sells. <laughs> so, Either way, we're we're oh, messed man. over if we're. I mean, that's just. The horse armor. Yeah, they still sell it. I mean, I saw I read an article just a few days ago that it, you know it's not like their biggest money maker, but people still buy it. So, go figure. Yep. Well, that's enough of uh, our vitriol here. I know that Mr. Adam and I have some passionate feelings, so we're sorry <laughs> to to drag everybody else through it, but. Uh, be sure to give us your thoughts on uh, the forums at rfgeneration.com on this because yeah, th- this is the kind of stuff I think it's important for gamers to talk about. You know, if you care about the hobby, um, especially the future of the hobby, this is the kind of stuff that you know it- it's good to hash out and and get some other opinions on. So throw it out there if you can. I I heard a dirty rumor that Adam played a game this week. Oh man, did I play a game this week? Actually, I got a, I got a couple in. Just I got to finally start uh, Bionic Commando, the new one on the PS3. Um, that's a little bit takes some getting used to, but the one I really want to talk about is the new. You don't know, Jack. Yeah, so I don't. I haven't purchased it yet. I am going to as soon as I can. I will get it very quickly now. I played the demo. Uh, they hit it. They picked up exactly where they left off. The same kind of quips during and after the questions, if you miss it. They have uh, four-player mode now instead of just three. All of the question transitions are there. The this or that category is back. They now have they, <laughs> they have the wrong answer of the game, which is sponsored by some fake company. And the way that it works is somewhere in the game there's a question that's going to have the wrong answer of the game. And... You can answer the question correctly and get your $1,000. And they also have a, a countdown timer where if you answer quicker, you earn a little bit more money on the question too. But the you So you can earn that money. If you answer the wrong question of the game, you get like 3000 uh, You get some ridiculous amount more than you would have originally gotten if you answered the question correctly. I thought that was a nice little addition. And I as soon as I started it up and they started the – you know, they started with the uh, – Stand by, like, right before the show is getting ready to start and everything. I went back to the original game on the PC. It was, it, it is so good. Game came out, it was only 30 bucks. Definitely pick it up. I'm going to have my copy very soon. We grew up with that series on PC. Uh, my, my wife is the trivia buff, and we had such a blast with that whole series. Every time a new one came out, we, we, we nabbed it, and... I keep on holding off to pick up our copy because I want to get it for like a birthday or something for, uh, I, I know that as soon as I get it, that's all we're going to do until we've gone through every question. <laughs> so yeah, I, I would give that a recommendation myself because if you are at all a trivia fan, there's, there's no funnier, better trivia series in my opinion. Definitely not something that to have with the kids around sometimes, uh, <laughs> if they can get the jokes, but very true, but worth it. It's they're they're a blast. I, I was super excited when it, when I heard they were doing it. Now that it's out and I played it, can't recommend it enough, especially if you were a fan of the original one. They did not miss a beat. Yeah, you got to have at least two or three people in it, and it's got online, but that's that's 
Oh, you have to, you have to have people on your couch right next to you. Online. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I the original ones I don't think had they didn't mind, but when you're playing that with friends and stuff, and I don't even I I think I can't imagine they would go without the screw uh, the screw your neighbor option. I didn't play it uh, multiplayer at all, but I can't imagine they would leave that out. What a classic move. <laughs> yeah, definitely pick that one up if if you got anybody else to play a trivia game with. It's yeah, worth it. Well, Marvel vs. Capcom 3 have gotten us all back into the, the fighting game mode, and I popped in an import for the Saturn I hadn't played in a little while called Cyberbots. And because it was never released over here, and it's the, the pseudo-sequel to an arcade beat-em-up called Armored Warriors, uh, it's not very well-known. I mean, it's, it's in... Capcom's classic stable of uh, one-on-one 2D fighters, so it does have you know some mention, and because it's an import, it's not as popular over here. But you can import it for cheap, and if you are at all a fan of one-on-one fighters, and of course like Capcom's particular uh, somewhat outlandish anime style and gigantic robots, which <laughs> you, I can't go wrong with that. Uh, I. I Definitely give a recommendation if you have if you have somebody to sit down and, and play it with because just like any one on one fighter you got to have somebody to to learn it with you otherwise you're gonna dominate everyone you play it with and it's, you know not gonna be any fun those kind of games to me are always best if you find somebody else to to start from scratch and learn uh, that's why I didn't grow up on the King of Fighters series <laughs> I only knew one or two other people that played them and they played them religiously so anytime I tried to play against them they're like here I'll I'll let you win the first round and then that was it so. <laughs> <laughs> ideally import it you can get it for cheap find somebody else who's willing to sit down and learn a new fighting game with you just for fun it's fairly simplistic i mean you're not going to learn any 50 string combos uh, in fact it's uh, instead of the typical three punches three kicks it's got a fairly simplified control setup but not too simple it's got like two attack buttons an actual weapon button for usually for distance attacks and then a, a dash for like aerial moves and that kind of thing and that's pretty much it and everything is derived all the special moves and such are derived off of uh like the the quarter circle and and those kind of maneuvers that are are pretty comfortable for Capcom fighters. Uh, it does support the uh, the RAM upgrade card, the one meg. It's not necessary, but it it is highly recommended. It get a lot more fluid animation and and uh, background effects. It's got twelve different robots and they're all fairly unique for what they do. I mean, you've got like a bizarre octopod one. You've got the classic two legged mech design. You've got some. It, it's got a Enough variation, and they all play pretty differently. It's got a whole bunch of pilots in that that you select before the robots, but that just kind of alters the storyline. But it's just different enough to recommend because it's not just a, a palette swap of all these other 2D fighters we're used to. It has enough unique features to where, again, yeah, ideally find a way to play uh, import games on your Saturn if you haven't already. Import it. Grab a friend and stay up the whole weekend, you know, goofing off. It's it's a blast. And my other game shout out is actually going to roll into our next edition of the Gaming History Museum as a series retrospective for RC Pro Am. The original RC Pro Am on NES, most people are fairly familiar with. Uh, the isometric view, the weapons. It was only single player, but it was fast-paced and addictive enough to where it definitely garnered a, a pretty big following. In fact, if you ever catch a Nintendo 
you're all at a yard sale or you know at a flea market, you're almost always going to see the same 20 carts. And RC Pro Am is going to be one of those 20 carts, one of the you know the 20 games that you always find with a stack of Nintendo games, and for good reason. It, it it's easy to pick up. It's fast and fluid. It's a lot of fun. Most people know that one, so not as many people actually paid attention to uh, the Game Boy release. They titled it Super RC Pro-Am, even though eh, realistically it's on the Game Boy, so it ran a little slower, a little choppier. Still the basic same gameplay, but um, it lost a little bit in the translation, in my opinion. It, it kind of slowed things down just a little bit, made it a little more dull. It's still the exact same uh, game design, and it's still a lot of fun. Uh, in fact, if if you have the opportunity to pick it up, I still you know recommend it just because it plays like the old Nintendo one, just a little, like I said, slower, a little choppier. Still has the same uh, card designs, the same weapon setups with the missiles and the and um, the bombs and such. The sequel on the Nintendo is what made me want to do this. Uh, uh, this game shout out into a retrospective because I don't ever hear anybody talk about RC Pro M2 for the Nintendo. It is one of the only games that supports the four player peripherals on Nintendo and it is so worth it. It's like the original Mario Kart. It's, uh, <laughs> and I say that with, with some good and some bad because there is still sometimes seemingly an element of randomness uh, like there is in the Mario Kart series where you can be the leader of the pack through the whole race. But it does the, the micro-machines kind of element where you pull too far ahead of the screen and it pulls the last guy up so you can all stay on the screen. So you can, yeah, you can be at the first of the race all the way till the end and screw up your last turn or get hit with a missile, and the guy in last just skirts right past and you're like, really, <laughs> come on. But that's just part of the zaniness, especially when you got four people on it. It's a blast. I mean, you'll you'll be yelling and screaming at each other the whole race. It has the uh, the staple weaponry of the original with a few added um, a few additions like a freeze gun and uh, th- this one, the second one, you actually upgrade your uh, vehicles. You can buy bigger engines and and better tires, much similar to uh, the old classic super off road and. I still recommend it more than uh, than Super Off-Road for Nintendo just because it has that same kind of quick, frantic fun that the first RC Prime was known for, and it just opened it up for multiplayer. Uh, we, we popped it in, goofed around, and yeah, it, <laughs> it's a shame that it got kind of uh, skirted under the rug because a lot of people um, – would have probably had a blast with it if it had come out earlier in the system's life or the four-player adapter was more popular during the Nintendo's lifespan. So if you have the the old four-score or even, <laughs> heaven forbid, the satellite uh, lying around with your Nintendo, track it down. It'll cost a little more than your average Nintendo cart, but not one of the outrageous ones. It's worth it if you can get a couple of guys together and just, yeah, <laughs> just have a field day. Um the only RC Pro-Am not released on a Nintendo platform was a port of the original RC Pro-Am to Genesis. And the only real difference besides refined graphics is that the Genesis version, instead of spelling out Nintendo to upgrade your cars, obviously, <laughs> had to change that. So it's uh, it's you spell out uh, 
champion. But other than that, the gameplay is, is identical, and the graphics are even better. You do have more cars on the field, so sometimes that feels like you get an even more raw end of the deal because <laughs> if you, it still it still uses the uh, you get fourth or worst you you lose a continue, and it still has the same amount of continues as the Nintendo one, <laughs> uh, which I don't think I've ever talked to anyone who finished that one without a Game Shark. <laughs> so. Um, it gets pretty crazy frantic. I mean, course memorization is an important part of the series for all of them because you have to memorize where all the pickups and power-ups are on each stage. Otherwise, it gets way too easy to fall behind. Uh, but it's just part of the game's old-school charm. It's not like a game you're you're going to be expecting to put in 10 hours a day on. Uh, it, it's arcade-like nature was such that you'd pick it up, you'd do a few rounds for you know a good 15, 20, 30 minutes if you were good, and and you know then it it spent its time and you move on. But uh, I recommend every game in the series. Uh, they're very, very close, except for the uh, the notable RC Pro-Am 2 for Nintendo. But if you liked the original, you just had to know that they uh, they actually had a decent series run. We haven't heard of anything for a sequel, largely because... In my, I think it's largely because Rare is now, of course, owned by Microsoft, and I don't know where the property rights fell, and there hasn't exactly been a huge demand for it. It would be something awesome to see an update on on Xbox Live or even the WiiWare or something like that. But, uh, yeah, do yourself a favor and, and track down the classic versions because, let me tell you, if uh, if you had as much fun with the original as we did, they're worth going back to. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the only one I've ever really played as the original, but, man, it's so definitive. I mean... <laughs> The, I can I could probably say I, you know, growing up I never knew there was a second one, and it wasn't until really I started getting the emulation before I started collecting stuff, when I started when I actually began to see that there, you know, actually was something out there. Of course, that was when, you know, we started getting the internet and that kind of stuff too. So, you know, more of the information that I missed as a kid came back to me too. Um, Man, the original is just so classic. I mean, the music is who who uh, you know as a gamer who doesn't know the little ditty that plays in between each track. I mean, it's to say it, it, it's. I'm sure that if, as people are listening to me say that they're hearing the same exact music and. It's the control was. I mean, really, on any kind of a racer, especially if you look at any of the, you know, something like on a an older game system, control wasn't always there. But RC Pro kind of had that, a nice, tight control system to it, where it had its own little quirks, like, uh, you know, drifting around corners and that kind of stuff, but you got used to it pretty quickly, and you could fly around tracks after just a few tries. And yeah. I think that's that that really helps to hold up the you know how well it's aged over the years. Yeah, it, it simply had a the series had a perfect playability. It was easy to to interpret the controls as as soon as you started, which was you know vitally important for um, for for any game to maintain longevity. It's important to be able to pick it up and immediately know what's going on. Mm-hmm. If I I picked up Nobunaga's Ambition Two for my Nintendo, uh, one of the last Nintendo games I'm still looking for, picked it up a few weeks ago, popped it in. Just like the rest of the Koei games, I don't have the book. I have no idea what's going on. Okay, it works. Put it back on the wall. 
<laughs> you, you, you know, there's that barrier of what on earth is going on. I don't know what the controls are. I don't know what this means or that means. Um, and for a for a game to to have longevity, to be able to always go back and play it, it has to be something that you pick it up, you immediately within a few minutes know what's going on. You can interpret what's on the screen, and it's fluid enough to where you don't feel like uh, you know you're fighting the game to to actually play it. And RC Pro Am is likely always going to be on one of those replayability lists because it's so fluid, it's so immediately uh, translatable to somebody who isn't familiar with racing games or you know doesn't know what's going on. Um, and the difficulty curve is there. You you start off pretty simply. Uh, it it ramps up to such to where by the time you're in the 20s, your races are over so fast. I mean the, the whole game's pace, flying. yeah, is just nuts. But the game scales it up to there so well, and yet at the entire run of the game lasts so briefly. I mean, it's a popular complaint nowadays for games if they only have a uh, four or five hour single player runtime. That's Call uh, of Duty. Uh, well, no, people <laughs> still complain about that. <laughs> in fact, that <laughs> you still hear people gripe about that. In fact, Homefront, which uh, the multiplayer I'm a huge fan of, kept on the, the single player. People just literally wrote off and said it's worthless because it's only four or five hours long. You know, even if everything else was working on it, the campaign you're done within like four or five hours. And I'm yeah. like, well, that was the same with the rest of the Call of Duties. So, and, you know, different series, but most of the time people gave that like a nine and a ten and, uh, you know, made a mention of, yeah, it's annoying that the campaign's over so briefly, but hey, multiplayer. And it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> it <laughs> different story. But anyway, you know, I had to wait until the cost of RC Pro Am back when, you know, in its day. I had to wait till it came down in price before I could get it because it was another $40, $50 title. You know, translating that from from the early 90s money, that was even more. So the RC Pro Am, if even if you're not very good at it, it's not going to last you four or five hours. <laughs> if you're really good at it, it's still not going to last you four or five hours because you're going to go through all the tracks. So, again, it's a, it's a changing of our perspective of, of the worth of a game. And it is hard to justify in some ways a game that you can be through with that, that quickly. Uh, then again, you know, if we're kind of getting into that subject just briefly, uh, I thought Limbo on Xbox Live was an absolutely beautiful, fantastic title. I finished that game in like three hours and it was 15 bucks. And from, you know, to read online on forums, most people say you know, that was not worth 15 bucks because it was only three hours but i i spent a lot more on a lot less and i don't even like paying for downloadable titles as we've mentioned before you know i like that physical media but i i kept tabs on that game i knew i wanted to check it out and i bought it when it came out and i do not regret it so you know it's all about the the interpretive value that you bring to it you know i, I feel like i got my worth out of that one uh yeah if you see Met- i mean sorry if you see rc pro i'm now if you pay more than a few bucks for it, then you're wasting money. But that's only because that's that's the current value of the game, not because of how much fun it is, but because, again, anytime you see a Nintendo at a flea market, in that stack of 20 or so games, RC Pro Am is going to be one of them. So you don't have to pay more than a couple of bucks for it. Yeah, the, I mean, the other thing about complaining about the, the length of time is that RC Pro Am is not a game that you're going to uh, one-shot and put it on the shelf and be done with it. It The replayability of it is... Huge. I mean, yeah, it's just it's it's that kind of a game where you can sit down for hours and play through the whole thing and try and master it, or you can just pop it in, play through first five tracks, and be done. 
it's that that good where you where you can do either one whatever you want to do it's not like a call of duty where you have you know it's it's let's say five hours long you, you take a block of time of five hours for call of duty or for rc pro-am call of duty you're gonna get you know you may get through the game and then you may be just done with it you're ready to play multiplayer only Whereas, I mean, it, you know, we're we're comparing two different games, two different genres, two different time periods, even. But RC Pro Am has the kind of addictability to it, to where you're just going to keep coming back, even if it is the same races, the same setups, the same tracks. It's it's just addictive. It's one of those games that nobody will ever stop playing. I don't think. And then you mentioned being, able, you know, RC Prom is one of the games that you always find. I picked a Nintendo up at a garage sale that had no games with it. It had the the deck, a couple of controllers, and the cords. And I got it at, you know, got it home, opened it up. There's a copy of RC Prom right inside of it. I didn't even look. <laughs> nice. <laughs> got it for five bucks for the whole thing. So I'm like, yeah, that's pretty nice. And then I, you know, get it home. There's RC Prom. So yeah, it's everywhere. And that, you know, part of that's a testament to how good it is that it sold that many copies, and everybody knows what it is for a third-party title out on the, on the Nintendo. Well, second party, I think. Well, for, yeah, for rare yeah. time, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, we uh, definitely big fans of RC Pro Am here at <laughs> RF Generation Nation. <laughs> uh, just as a bizarre side note, and I couldn't test this, but I, I thought it was worth mentioning the. Original Nintendo is, of course, the one-player affair. The Genesis one also. And the sequel for Nintendo is a four-player. The Game Boy Super RC Pro-Am, I always assumed was one-player because you turn it on and it just goes immediately to starting the game. However, I did read that it does support four players uh, if you have the link set up with everything just like you did with the original you know the F1 race they had for the black and white game boy if you had the the link set up for it and if you turn four systems on just one of them before the others then you in fact will have a four player RC pro am game on your game boy i did not have the equipment to test this so for shame for me <laughs> but i just wanted to put that out there because i knew there is somebody out there who is going to say well you didn't mention that the Game Boy one was four players, and I can't test it, so I'm just going to throw that out there. I did read it was supported four players if you have the entire setup. So track down four Game Boys, <laughs> four copies of the game and the link cable, and get back with us to verify that it is, in fact, four-player compatible. I pick up extra copies of any linkable game that I know supports multiple uh, you know, that sports multiplayer on Game Boy. Like, I've got a couple of copies of Faceball. I even have a copy, a few copies of X vs. Sever on Game Boy Advance. Because, believe it or not, those are those are goofy Doom clones that can be a lot of fun uh, with four players. So, anytime I see, like, a, a few extra copies of those with, like, a dollar to a piece, I pick them up because we have some bizarre LAN parties at my place. <laughs> and you never know what we're going to all say, hey, this is multiplayer, let's try this out. So While we were doing a little discussion here and he he mentioned the uh super rc pro i'm having link capability um i just found something here that uh, a guy has managed to uh hack together and add a link port to a super game boy on the snes 
<laughs> giving you link capability <laughs> between your SNES system, so you could potentially, it looks like, uh, play these um, Game Boy Link games on TV. <laughs> I need to buy four of those now. He didn't really test it with any Link games, but he has made. He says he's made several picture transfers with the Game Boy camera and has tested the operation <laughs> of the printer, and that worked as well. Nice. So, I mean, and basically, the Super Game Boy is just it's the it's the Game Boy CPU, and it's got the exact same pinout as the actual mm-hmm. Game Boy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, know, theoretically, was, was wouldn't be that hard. Go, it was pretty trivial to do. So, I mean, you know. Relatively speaking, depending on how good your soldering skills are. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> but uh, uh, I will uh, go ahead and include a link here uh, that I have for it on the podcast blog entry on RF Generation. We're looking at you, Noise Redux. This sounds like a fun project in your Game Boy yeah, Player I Land. Yeah, I want to see this on the next Game Boy Player Land entry. <laughs> Not the next one, but I want to see it on an upcoming entry. That would be awesome. So, in our attempts to include the RF Generation community, uh, we are still taking votes on our caption contest. Come on, folks. We need a tiebreaker here. Let's get some votes in. And we're going to close out with the top five reasons hackers are not helping the gaming community. Number five. Renaming Major Nelson's gamertag to Smelly Nelly brought back terrible childhood trauma. Number four, ruining a free gaming service like PSN may drive less stable people into actually playing their Wii online. Number three, hackers' efforts are better spent on tasks that benefit humanity, like making ports of Panzer Dragoon Saga to newer systems. Number two, we need to quit before Hollywood misunderstands and makes a hacker's movie sequel. If you haven't seen the 95 original, don't. And the number one reason hackers are not helping the gaming community, hurting Kevin Butler's feelings is more dangerous than slapping Chuck Norris in the face with the bazooka. And now that my online accounts are probably in the process of being trashed, we're at the end of another episode. As always, if you have any questions, thoughts, queries, passwords, or topic suggestions, be sure to post them on our forums at www.rfgeneration.com. You can also use RF Generation to track your game collection. Uh, you can post on our forums or set up your own blog. And as always, if you guys want to send us an email, the email address is podcast at rfgeneration.com. Uh, you can also give us a phone call. The number is area code 318-RFG-TIP-5. That's area code 318-734-8475. As always, God bless, game on, and keep it on channel 3.